0: Genres are really very, very deep in terms of they are who we are. We always talk about that humans are the storytelling animal. Well, it's a lot more than that. We are stories. And what that means then is that, you know, and, and by the way, that, that starts at birth. At birth, we begin to form the first story of our life, which is me the story of me and from then on everything that we see and understand in the world is through that filter of my story and generally story itself.
1: Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson-Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us.
2: And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to a new episode of the Friends in Fiction Writers Block podcast. We love exploring multiple facets of storytelling on the podcast, and today it seems we have hit the jackpot. We cannot wait to talk with our guest today, John Truby. So let's just dive in. John is Hollywood's premier screenwriting instructor and story consultant. His book, The Anatomy of Story, is a blockbuster book about writing and story structure. Over the last 25 years, more than 50,000 people have attended his sold-out seminars around the world. It's called The Best Script Doctor in the Movie Industry. Truby serves as a story consultant for major studios and production companies worldwide, and he's been a script doctor on more than 1,800 movies, sitcoms, and television dramas. I feel like a failure, and I am Ron Block.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm Mary Kay Andrews, and, and I feel like a failure, too. But John Truby's former student's work has earned more than $15 billion, with a B, at the box office. His class is also regularly attended by top fiction writers and novelists. In addition to his sold-out seminars, John Truby remains on the cutting edge of technology, having created and developed Truby Blockbuster, the best-selling software designed to intuitively help writers learn and understand the art of developing their story ideas into fully realized, professionally structured novels and scripts.
1: And I am Patty Callahan-Henry, and I am a devotee of The Anatomy of Story. But today we're here to talk about John's new book, The Anatomy of Genres, out right now. Not only will we talk about this astounding book on writing and hear some expert writing advice, but John is also going to take us through both my newest novel, The Secret Book of Flora Lee, and Mary Kay's novel, The Home Wreckers, as we apply John's genre theories to our novels. John, welcome.
0: Well, Patty, thank you so much, Ron. Thank you, Mary Kay. So great to be with you. I love your friends in fiction. I love what you do for writers. And I think you're terrific writers. So I couldn't be happier to be here.
1: One of the best things about... Being a writer is getting to talk with people about writing, about the theories and the structure and how differently we all arrive at this kind of mystical thing that we call story. So you say that genres are the all-stars of the story world. The first chapter of this book is called The World as Story. How story form explains the world. And of course you are singing my song when you say that, (laughs) just in a much better pitch. So when I found your book, The Anatomy of Story, it changed the way that I wrote and it changed the way that I look at the work I do before a novel starts. So before we take a deep dive into this new book, can you tell us what I have been wondering? Why after the premier book, The Anatomy of Story, You felt you needed to spend the last five years diving into the anatomy of genre.
0: Well, I'll tell you, Patty, in the last 10 years, really since the Anatomy of Story came out, I have been obsessed. That is really the only word for it. I have been obsessed with how to help writers get to the top. And for me, what that means is writing a great book and making it a bestseller. And I don't believe that those have to be contradictory. And of course, writing a great book and making it a bestseller is really hard to do because what that really means is that you are part of the top 1% of writers worldwide. Now, a lot of times when I talk to writers, I go to, to novel conferences a lot and I tell them what I do. And they say, well, oh, I know all about story. I use three act structure, or I use the hero's journey, or it's the save the cat. And they think that's all I need. I'm good. Well, here's the problem. These books are fine for beginners, but they have very few practical story techniques and certainly almost nothing that can tell you how to write at the professional level, much less write a bestseller. Now, again, we're talking about getting into the top 1% of writers. So, when I wrote Anatomy of Story, my goal was to include all the professional techniques a writer would need to know in order to write a best-selling novel. But the one subject it does not cover, does not even touch on, is how to write a novel that is in one of the genres that makes up 99% of storytelling today. And I believe that if you want to be a top professional writer, you have to write the stories that the business, and by that I mean the publishers, the studios, and especially the readers want to buy, which means mastering the structures of the genres that you work in. And that means, first of all, Being able to execute the 15 to 20 plot beats that are unique to each form. I believe if you do not know them and you don't hit every one of those in your story, you have no chance of getting into that top 1%.
1: Hmm. That's a bit freeing and also a bit terrifying Terrifying. because Because we don't always know what those are. And while you were talking, it was making me think about Stephen Pressfield and his work on resistance and how there's a difference between just trying something and turning pro. And this book, it sounds like, is what matters when you're turning pro.
0: Exactly. Exactly. To me, it's because... I've work with writers all the time. I've worked with thousands of writers and I see that dream that they have of, of actually getting their work out there and having it be successful because that's, that's them, that's, that's what they want to do with their life. And so the, the problem is to get to that level is so tough. You have to have to, you have to have the techniques and the skills to get you to that level. And it's the toughest craft in the world. Let's be, let's be honest about it. Mm.
3: Okay. Now that you've told us how tough it is, which is
2: <laughs> <probably so>
3: intimidating, <laughs> let's talk about genre and what genre is. When we interview somebody on Friends in Fiction, we often ask, what's your book about? And then what is your book really about? I think that's what genre is, what the book is really about a unique philosophy about how we live our life. But maybe you've got a different definition of genre.
0: Well, Mary Kay, you have hit it pretty well. Uh, Actually,
3: you told me to say that.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, good. I'll take help anywhere I can get it. But um, genres are simply different types of stories. Like romance or fantasy or action or thriller or detective. And, and, you know, I talk about 14 major genres in the book from which 99% of worldwide story comes from, either individually or more likely in combination. And genres are really the all-stars of the story world, meaning that they have been proven over decades, sometimes centuries, and in the case of myth, over thousands of years, to be extremely popular with audiences. And the reason for that is that what they've done is they've captured for that particular subject, for example, romance being love, for that particular subject, they captured the plot beats and sequence them in the right order to give the reader the most dramatic experience possible. And so they are really, really tightly worked out. Now that's what they are to most readers. That is a, a kind of plot that they are really excited about. But what they're really about, and this is what very few writers understand is that they express a different, a, a specific theme. And writers are really tend to be very, first of all, they misunderstand theme and they're afraid of theme because they don't want to send a message. They don't want to hit, hit it on the nose. And so what happens is that they basically back off from it and they just tell their story. Well, they are basically sacrificing a massive amount of power in terms mm. of how to move the audience because they don't know that. So the the really interesting thing about genres, and this frankly surprised me as I was writing the book, is we know that each genre is a plot system. What we didn't know, or at least what I didn't know, is that each genre is a theme system It each genre expresses a life philosophy for how to live a successful life. And that carries with it a set of values by which the reader wants to live their life. And so the reason a reader comes back to the same genre time and time again is not because of the plot beats. They know those plot beats inside and out. Yes. You still have to hit them as the writer, If you don't execute all those beats, you're going to have a very unhappy reader. But what really brings them back again and again is that life philosophy, that set of values that is how they feel they want to live and how they think that that's going to give me the best life I can have. I love that.
2: Wow. I feel like I've just snuck into the back row of the ultimate masterclass. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Exactly.
2: And then I need to listen to
1: that over and over and over. Exactly.
2: Uh, One of the things, too, that while you're talking, John, is um, this is also valuable for a reader, too, to kind of like give them more depth to what they're understanding and what they're reading and what what the uh, writers put into their work. Yeah. But you've written that genre is 99% of all stories sold in the world. And now that you've told us that there are 14 genres, one can we go through them one by one, just the name and the sub name, and then we'll talk about some more in depth about some of them? Absolutely. Also adding, adding that you um, say each genre is about something.
0: Yes. The, the power of genre is not just that it expresses this deep life philosophy But that it's also when you're doing the genre properly, you're also exploring what I call a life story. These these things that make up our lives that we take for granted because they're so vast and so deep. But different genres express different examples of these life stories. So let me go through the chapter headings. Horror, we start with horror and that's Expressing the story of religion and how religion helps us to confront the end of our lives. Action is about success. Myth expresses the life process. Memoir and coming of age are all about creating the self. Memoir does it through nonfiction. Coming of age does it through fiction. Then next we have science fiction which is really about science, society, and culture. Crime explores morality and justice. Mm. Comedy is, of course, a lot of fun, but at a deeper level, it's really about manners and morals. The Western is America's national creation myth, and it's about the rise and fall of civilization. Gangster stories, are about the corruption of business and politics. Fantasy is about the art of living. Mm. Detective and thriller are about the mind and the truth. And love is about the art of happiness. So there's a lot to explore there.
1: Well, I is. mean, <laughs> and, and- but- Go ahead, Ron. What were you going
2: to say? I was just going to say it's it's fascinating and it just, it puts almost a science to it. And uh, it's just, it's all there. (laughs) Well, it it goes,
0: it goes back to the comment that you made right at the beginning, Patty, which is that the genres are really very, very deep in terms of they are who we are. We, We always talk about that humans are the storytelling animal. Well, it's a lot more than that. We are stories, and what that means then is that you know and and by the way that that starts at birth at birth, we begin to form the first story of our life, which is me, the story of me. And from then on, everything that we see and understand in the world is through that filter of my story and generally story itself. and so the beauty of the genres is. Each genre gives us a different window into how the world works, a different opinion of how the world works. And then second of all, it gives us a different way to live successfully in that world. And, and to take it to the writer, this is what we need to express. We need to get that into the story, not in a heavy handed way by saying, well, you know, this is my theme and this is the life philosophy I'm going to tell you that you want to live by. No, that's another of the beautiful things of using genres in your storytelling is because that theme will be carried through the story beats. As long as you hit those plot beats and do them in a dramatic order, you're going to express that theme automatically.
1: It is a science and it is a craft, but John, it is also an art because none of those can be hit without diving deeper into the story. You can't stay on the surface and and, and, and try to hit something like a nail in the wall. You have to dive deep into each genre, your own life philosophy, what is inside of you, what yeah. matters to you, all of that. Um, You often say that there are three unwritten rules that are hidden in the most successful stories. And I know that is a masterclass and something people can (laughs) sign up for, but if you could just kind of rattle through how that plays into genre, like how does that shift us into genre?
0: Sure. I, I talk at the very beginning about these three unwritten rules that determine the entire storytelling business and that of course includes publishing and writing novels and the first rule is that in every medium they are actually in the business of buying and selling genres that is specifically what they are looking at and all you have to do is go to amazon to see that rule number two is that to be successful in popular story today you want to combine anywhere from two to four genres. And that's because in the last 20 to 30 years, there's been a major increase in the plot density in every story medium. In other words, we need more plot for the amount of writing that we do. And here's the problem. What separates that top 1% of writers from everyone else is the ability to write complex plot. Mm. And here's the other part of the problem, which is that there are more techniques that go into plot than all the other major writing skills combined. And most writers simply have no idea what all those techniques are and certainly not at the professional level. So when it comes time to figuring out their plot, they think, well, I'll just figure it out as I go. Well, of course, for the vast majority of writers, that never happens. And so the f- first reason that you want to use genres is that they have the plot complexity already worked into the, to that particular plot system. It's already done for you. And, and of course, the r- main reason that you want to mix genres is that when you do that, you double or triple the number of plot beats that you're giving the reader. So, this is the, that's that's why genres are this really the secret weapon for writers. They turbocharge your plot.
1: Mm. I can't wait to hear how we did or did not
3: do that
0: in
2: our
3: <laughs> novels. Oh, gosh, Mary Kay. Wait, is did we get the third rule? Oh, no, yes.
2: the, th- the
0: third rule is that the most important secret to success in popular story today is to transcend the genre. In other words, yes, you have to hit all of those beats. That's part of rule number one. But if you just hit all of the beats of that genre, you're doing what all the other writers are doing, or at least attempting to do, right? No, that's not going to separate you from the crowd and you're not competing with everyone else writing a novel. You're competing with everyone else writing a novel in your genre. And so how do you separate yourself from the crowd? You do it by sh- transcending the genre. And there's three major ways that you do it. First of all, you play with the order of the of the beats. You and and you you execute the beats in a way that we haven't seen before. And so what that does is the reader, they know their genres, they love their genres. And so they want to see you hit all those beats. But as soon as you do them in a different order or execute them in a different way, they go, Oh, whoa! I've never seen that before. That's really great. And so in effect, they get to have their cake and eat it too. And they love that. The second way that you transcend the genre is by expressing that deeper theme is exploring really what that genre is about under the surface and then expressing it through your particular story. Because as I said, most writers do not understand theme and they're afraid of it. So if you're coming in with a powerful theme on top of the great plot that you have, you're coming in with superpower. I always say that the biggest thing that distinguishes the top 1% of writers from everyone else is the ability to write complex plot what separates the top 0.1% of writers from everyone else is the ability to express advanced theme through complex plot. When you can do both of those, you're standing on top of the mountain alone. Mm. And and by the way, the, the point of the book is to tell writers exactly how to do that in every genre, because yeah, that sounds really overwhelming. And again, we're talking about how do you write a great book and how do you write a bestseller? That's not going to be easy, but what I tried to do and the reason it took me five years is that I tried to lay out exactly in the first half of each chapter, it tells you what all the 15 to 20 plot beats are of that genre. The second half of the chapter is how do you, ex- what is the th- unique theme of that genre and how do you express it in this story?
1: I just want to beat that over and over, like just yeah. keep saying it. Yeah. yeah.
2: I'm glad it's getting recorded so we can just back it up. And I know, go back kid. and
3: listen. <laughs> I know. John, you say, you know, I was thinking about all, all the rules and um, I remember back, it made me think back to my newspaper days when the paper I worked at brought in a writing coach. and um each each of the reporters had a I was a feature writer at the time, had a session with him. And I had to confess to him. I didn't want to take his coaching because I was worried that learning too much about how I wrote would ruin it. I told him it was like riding a bike. If I looked down and saw how I was writing, I would freak out and fall off. Love
1: it. (laughs) Yep. Yep.
3: It would freeze me. And I know a lot of novelists are resistant to structure and I, and I've been resistant. I know lots of us have been. Would you talk to us about why you think it is so important?
0: The main reason that structure is so important is that it makes you more creative, not less creative. And I when like people that. hear that at first glance, they say, "Well, no, that can't be right." You know, structure is just going to bind me in; it's going to hem me in. It's actually the reverse. What structure does is allow you to find the deeper sequence of the story idea, and this is this is the jump that where ninety nine percent of writers fail. That is, they come up with an idea; it might even be a great idea, but they have to now translate that from an idea to a say 300 page novel. That is, that is very difficult to do. That requires a massive amount of craft. Now there are some very few people who have such innate storytelling skills that they know, they know what those, what the most dramatic way to tell a story. And I suspect Mary Kay that you are one of those people. Yes. And the fact that you've what written 30 novels, probably most of them bestsellers in the last 30 years indicates this is somebody who knows what she is doing. And I can tell you from personal experience, having read the homewreckers, um, right from the very first scene, I, I knew this is a professional. I am in good hands here. And So whether you have those techniques on the top of your mind or down a little deeper, doesn't matter. You know what you're doing. You know how to tell a great story. The problem is, most writers don't. They don't have those inherent craft skills that allow them and again, it's not just to tell any story it's to tell that particular story idea and do it in a way that's very unique and creative that nobody else has read before, while at the same time being in one or more of the genres. And so what I always tell writers is that what structure does is it allows you to understand how to tell a dramatic story. So in my book, Anatomy of Story, I go through the 22 building blocks of every great story. I always say the 22 building blocks doesn't tell you what to write. It tells you how to sequence what you write in the most dramatic way possible.
3: Yeah. I think another, another point is um, you know, if, if you've read one of my books, maybe you make the assumption that I know intuitively what I am doing. I don't, but <laughs> I have had the great good fortune of having very skillful, knowledgeable editors. Yeah. Who uh, And I think that's such an important point for writers to understand that one of the things that separates a journeyman from a craftsman mm. is being able to accept editing.
0: Yes. Whoa! so true, so true. That's one of, the, one of the marks of, I've worked with a whole lot of writers and I have found that the first mark of an amateur is they will not take criticism. Right. They, mm. they, they think, oh, you're, you're attacking me. And they don't realize that one of the marks of a, of a professional is they want to get feedback. <laughs> you know give me as much feedback as you can because all that can do is and I, that doesn't mean i have to take everything you say right but it does mean that you're going to be able to get an outside view of this is what you thought you were doing but that's not necessarily what's happening with the reader and i always tell writers the customer is always right if if you are not getting the effect that you thought you were getting or what the effect that you wanted it's not the reader's fault it's your fault. Sure. You have to make the fixes because, and I say this to, to, to people in my writer's group all the time, you don't get to sit next to the reader and explain, and explain what <laughs> you were doing in that paragraph. No, <laughs> they've got to do that on their own. So you're absolutely right. The, the ability to take that great feedback. Um, I mean, I know the, the, the main person who edited my book, Anatomy of Genres, is my wife, Leslie. And uh, it, the the book is so much better than it would have been without her input. It's just I cannot even describe the the leap that it made with her with her insights because she read and this is this is true love. She read each chapter four times, and this is a seven hundred page book. So so there's a lot of work that went into it. But you can only get better when you get that feedback and and you are open to it.
3: Right.
1: And it's not just editors, Ah. like you said, Kathy, and like, you just referred to Leslie, who's a writer herself, but we do it like Kathy will read my first pages and say, nah, and she knows it's not going to hurt my feelings or it might for about 30 seconds. But (laughs) what what she's saying is you're not there yet. Yeah. And I'd I'd like to, you know, I I don't mind that 30 seconds of, of ping because I want to get over it. If it's not grabbing her from the first page, I don't want her to lie. Right. I yeah. want her to tell me what's not working and you have to be willing to hear that and take it and know that you haven't found all the things you're talking about, John. They don't come without the work. They yep. don't come, you know, easily. They don't, they come with a rewrite and an edit and a, yep. a a deep dive, at least for me, they don't just bubble up out of nowhere. No. It's, um, no. There's the art and there's the craft, right? Yep. And somehow we have to find a way to make those two meet yep. in a place that brings
0: a powerful story. Yep. I always say that I can't teach you art. I can teach craft. The art is your job. Yes. and But it is not possible unless you have the craft sitting underneath it in the first place.
2: Yep. Wow. Okay. So let's take all of this and apply it. Uh, you, John, you've had the privilege to read Patty's The Secret Book of Flora Lee and Mary Kay's book, The Home Let's dive in and start with Patty's book. What genres would you ascribe to The Secret Book of Flora Lee and why?
0: Well, it, it, Patty's book is a perfect example of rule two combining genres. Uh, you, you absolutely have to do it to have the best chance of success in popular story to have that bestseller possibility. So with Patty, we've got historical fiction, detective mystery, and love story, and they are woven beautifully together. This is something that I wanted to just talk about briefly because it's so important. I, I tell writers, oh, you want to mix two to four genres in your story. They say, great. And then they try to do it and they don't know how to do it. So they end up with story chaos. And that's because each genre has with it a predetermined hero, opponent, story beats, desire line, and so on. So when you're mixing genres, what if you don't know what you're doing, you end up with too many heroes, too many opponents, too many story beats, and too many desire lines. And this will not work. And so the trick is you have to understand what is my primary genre. And that then provides the spine of the story. And you then layer in the other genres on top of that, but only where they fit. And so with Patty's story, the primary genre is detective mystery. And that detective mystery gives you one of the best spines in story because you are looking to solve a puzzle. And this this is a very clean line. It's very specific. We have a very specific endpoint. The endpoint is we solve the problem. We find out who did it. And so it provides a great desire line for the hero. And then you can layer on top of that the other forms. Now, one of the problems that writers have is how do I decide what's my primary genre? And there's certain rules that you can follow. They can help you. They don't tell you what you do, but they can help you. And that is there are certain genres that are what are called technical genres and certain ones that are non-technical. And the only difference is technical ones are more precise and non-technicals are larger, looser forms where the story can go in more directions. Detective is one of the technical genres. Well, the rule is, If you're combining a technical with a non-technical, the technical is almost always the primary form because that gives Mm. you the strongest spine. And so sure enough, detective mystery is the primary form in Patty's story. And the love story is layered on top of that. And it's done within a historical fiction world. That is both that is both, of course, fact based, which gives us certain elements that that are are you know a lockdown a foundation for the story um that and this is by the way similar to what we get in memoir, um, but those add extra plot beats to the mix. So that's why the weave I always refer to it as a plot weave. The weave is so good in this book. and what is the result of that? The result of that is it has tremendous emotional power. and this is what, what writers sometimes don't understand is the reason we're doing these plot beats and sequencing the way that we are doing them is to get emotional impact on the audience, on the reader. And that's, to me was, I mean, I was just, by the time I got to the end of the book, I was just overwhelmed with emotion because of, and, uh, And I I had to go back and say, well, how did she do that? How did she get those effects? And it's the way that she wove together these various beats in these different genres that came to this fabulous climax and conclusion. So again, it's, it's, you know, that's what a pro does. And that's why readers, they, they're not going to probably tell you, well, this is why, you know, Flora Lee was such a great book, but, they feel it inside. And that's where you want them to feel it.
1: still fascinating because oh. I, when I was reading Anatomy of Genre, I was trying to assign genre to my work, like to go back in time, whether it was becoming Mrs. Lewis or, which is definitely, uh, I would say a coming of age, but uh, but of an adult, right? And right. it's a love story. It's mainly a love story. But I have never once, Thought of that story, the secret book of Flora Lee, to my detriment now. I want to go back and (laughs) rewrite parts of it. I've never thought about it as a detective or mystery. A mystery is the overarching umbrella of that story, the mystery of what happened to her lost sister, Flora Lee. But I considered it this kind of coming of age, finding out who you are, finding out that the things you carried. Might not be true, and wow,
2: okay, well, you, mind blown. Oh calm. my gosh,
0: Patty, you you t- you touch on something really important there in the chapter on memoir and coming of age. Yes. I talk about the fact that these are all about creating the self, and yes, the you know memoir does it through nonfiction, coming of age does it through fiction, and. They're very powerful, very emotional forms, but what they tend to lack is plot. And so the main technique that writers of memoirs use to generate more plot for the emotion of the memoir is combine it with detective story. And you've basically did that very thing. And you know it, that combination allowed you to have the plot that could keep the reader going to get them to the big emotional payoff at the end. And that's what many memoir and coming of age writers have trouble with, because they want that. It's a very personal, very emotional story, but they don't have the plot vehicle to get the reader there to the end for the payoff.
2: Fascinating. And
1: and, and there have been many times I've had this, this kind of coming of age idea. That has that has frankly died on the page. Because there wasn't enough forward momentum. There wasn't a forward enough desire. When I sat down and said, What do they want? What do they really, really want? It was like to be a painter, right? There's not enough of a but but if you throw in what you're talking about and you bring in that spine, the story takes on a drive it didn't have
0: before. Exactly. And and you you have, you know, I, I noticed that with I I believe the title is "Saving Savannah,"
1: "Surviving Savannah." Yes,
0: "Surviving Savannah." um, Is that you use this the double track? You use two two timeline tracks, and you cross cut between those. Now. That is very difficult for most writers to pull off. I
1: don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, 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 I it, want to be done.
0: <laughs> it gives, what it does is it gives automatically, no matter what you do, it makes for a slower setup. But what it also does, if you know what you're doing, the payoff is bigger because when those two lines come to a point Converse. at the end, bam, you get this explosion and it's really powerful. But that's why having a vehicle, a plot vehicle like mystery is so important because that carries the readers through that initial setup of both lines so that they're going to stay with it to get that big payoff at the end. And, and again, you did it beautifully.
1: John, I am... I could talk to you about me <laughs>
0: <for the laughs> next hour <laughs>
1: because I'm so fascinated. I want to. I want to almost dissect every novel I've written. And and my friend Ariel Lawhon, um, the historical fiction writer who introduced me to your work, always says that the pain can come at the beginning or the end. Meaning you can yeah. take the time to do all of the things you're talking about in the beginning or the end when you're editing. And in many ways, I try to do both. But um, I am going to flip the tables and turn this over to Mary Kay Andrews, because The Homewreckers is one of my very favorite books she wrote, for one, for yep. many reasons. Um, one, because it's multi-layered, also because it's in our, our mutually beloved city of Savannah. So, what genres do you ascribe to that novel and why?
0: Well, I'm going to answer that in just a second. But I, I have to admit, I was curious as to what is it about Savannah? I mean, I used to live in uh, for a couple of years in South Carolina, in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, so I know that area a little bit. Um, but I don't recall ever getting to Savannah. This must be a magical town because both of you <laughs> put it right at the center of your two books. Um, but in terms of the home homewrecker, um, again, we have this and it's a great combination mystery, love. And then Mary Kay, you, you add comedy to it, which, you know, it, it's the kind of the romantic comedy plus mystery. You don't get a better combination than that Mm -hmm. in terms of, uh, you know, a pleasurable read for your, for your reader. Um, and again, it, what you get right away, you, you get Mary Kay, you get in that opening scene where you're setting up the mystery. You don't you, and yet you still leave some of some mystery in the mystery. So I'm as the reader, I'm thinking, Whoa, she's certain things. She's not telling me here. There's, there. She's leading me in a certain direction, but I'm not sure that that I should go in that direction because maybe she's fooling me. So that draws me in right away and engages the reader right away. It starts with the main line by setting up the main line, which is the mystery, right? Then we go to the setup of the basic premise line, which is so great. I love the fact that, you know, you set up her, her problems at the beginning, the loss of her husband and so on. And the fact that she's about to go broke and she's, she's able to do this, this home renovation show. And You know, first of all, it made me laugh because my wife watches every home renovation show there is. (laughs) I mean, she is she is obsessed with this with this genre of TV. Um, And so but what that what that was so great about that was that that then became the the high concept idea that connected mystery and love story. Because then through doing the the renovation on that house and I don't I want to be very careful about not divulging anything here but that through doing the renovation of that house we hook in both the mystery side of it that our hero has to solve and the love story side of it that are again both going to pay off together at the very end point to give us the big emotional payoff or so the again
3: mention anyway just,
0: <laughs> Pardon?
3: <laughs> I said that's the intention. I never know if I'll pull yes. it off.
0: <laughs> well, you you pulled it off quite yes, you well. Did. Um yes, you did. and and yeah, it's just it's just it to me it was a perfect example of what is a fun read on the outside, and it is masking the professional level techniques that are underneath it that are used to create that, that effect. It's like, I liken it sometimes to making a souffle, you know, it's light, it's airy and really hard to do well.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing about, I think the thing about romance is it's tied so closely to mystery because in most cases Mm. the reader is asking themselves, will they, or won't they? Yep. Do they, or don't they? should they or shouldn't they and if you don't if you if you tell the reader right up front well yep mm, they're together (laughs) you got nothing left to say
0: that's right that's right i always say that love story by all by all uh accounts should take about 10 minutes because you you know the the two people meet there's an attraction the rest is negotiation so Uh. what your job as the writer is is How do you make that last an entire book? And you're absolutely right that the key is to make, put mystery into the attraction from the very beginning, because otherwise the reader, especially readers who who love to read romances, they know how these things work. So again, you're going to have to trick them in some way, fool them, divert them in some different directions that make them think that, no, maybe this is not going to happen.
3: Yeah. You know, um, you talk about in this book, write something that will change your life. Uh, What do you mean when you say that?
0: What I mean by that is write something that is so important to you, that you are so passionate about, that expresses your personal life philosophy of how to live in this world, that the act of writing that story will by necessity change you as well. Because I think one of the magical elements of fiction is that by taking a character through the major steps of structure leading to a life change at the end, that's what you, the writer, are doing when you write a story that's that important to you. So you are going through that character change. And I always believe that when you're writing a a book like that, you're giving yourself the best gift that you could possibly give yourself because you're creating your life. As I say in Mm -hmm. in the memoir coming of age chapter, memoir isn't about looking at the past. Memoir is really about creating the future. And so the act of writing fiction is I believe the best tool for creating a rich life that you have. So I, to me, there's, there is no greater standard than that. And part of that is about saying, don't just write a copy of an idea that you saw at the movies or read in a book six months ago with a little flip that you add to it. No, it's all about being original. It's all about giving the reader something only you can give them. And that's what people will pay for. They're not going to pay for something they can get from a thousand other people. But that act of giving them something from yourself that's so original also, and I think even more importantly, changes you, doesn't just change the reader.
1: When you pick up a Mary Kay Andrews book, if her name wasn't on it, you would say, this is a Mary Kay Andrews book. Absolutely. And that's what you mean when you say that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Now it's quiz time. How about, (laughs) John, would you give us an example of each of the genres to drive the points home? Sure. Sure.
0: I, I start with, um, the horror story. And the reason, by the way, that I talk about the genres in this order has to do with the biggest revelation for me when I was writing this book, which is that these genres don't just express their own unique life philosophy. I found that if you sequence the genres in a certain way, it creates a ladder of enlightenment that you grow as you read the book from beginning to end. And so that's why I have, At the beginning, at the lowest level is horror followed by action leading all the way up to the highest level where I have fantasy, detective, and at the highest level is love. So Mm -hmm. if you look at the horror story, um, a lot of times when when I'm talking about story examples, and that by the way is one of the most fun parts for me of writing these books, is applying these techniques to stories that we both know as classics, but also fairly recent stories in each form. And you see them, it just opens them up and you say, oh, that's what the writer was doing. That's why it was so powerful. But so in in horror, you start off with Frankenstein. You have to, that's the greatest horror story ever written. And it 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 created the entire speculative fiction family, which is horror, fantasy, and science fiction. It is immensely influential, but, but what and what you get there is the most important technique for transcending the horror form which is where we flip the monster and the hero at the mid, in the middle of the story and we see this as recently in stories as shape of water uh, and get out uh, two brilliant horror stories that aren't just the low level slasher film right if you talk about action Again, action is about success, and I use—I like to use examples from the Mad Max films, especially Fury Road. But you know, classics like Die Hard, um, and then I talk in there about the the subgenres that transcend the form are sports stories, and of course, you, there you got to talk about Rocky, which is a combination of sports and love, and it's that combination that made it so successful and then you get things like um the advanced action story which is typically an epic and there you're talking about my favorite movie of all time which a lot of people have not seen but is again tremendously influential which is seven samurai now the myth story you get of course you start with star wars star wars changed the entire fiction world when it came out in 1977. And I'm talking film, novels, television. Incredibly influential because it brought in mixed genre stories. From then on, everybody in the business, that the, the money people said, it's got to be a mixed genre story. Um, so you're looking at Star Wars, you're looking at Lord of the Rings and Wizard of Oz and in, and in the chapter on, on myth, I give examples of Lord of the Rings as a male myth and wizard of oz is a female myth wizard of oz was way ahead of its time and i talk about there about the emergence of the female myth which has been gone from western culture for 3000 years it has only started to come back in the last 10 years it is going to be massive in terms of worldwide popularity and it it is going to I think change the perception of how to be successful in this world, in a world where we can no longer have this kind of conflict. Um, memoir you're talking about, I use examples from the Liars Club, Mary Carr, um, into thin air, coming of age stories like Moonlight and cinema Paradiso. And the most recent example, uh, Coda, a beautiful, beautiful coming of age story. Beautiful, um, science fiction: uh, Inception, Interstellar, two thousand and one, The Matrix, and an example of again a female myth science fiction story. One of my favorite films of that year, which is Arrival. Um, great, great film. Um, crime. You're talking about Breaking Bad. I I talk. I use a <laughs> lot of examples from television because. Because we have been living through two revolutions in story that are as massive as the rise of the novel and the rise of film. The first of these is, as I mentioned, the the return of female myth. The second is the rise of television as an art form. Television in the last 20 years has surpassed film as a dramatic medium. It is much better written there is nothing in film that can compare to the great stories that we see in television. Things like Breaking Bad, Mad Men, The Sopranos, and so on. Just the work in television is just extraordinary. And how did they do it? Interestingly enough, they did it by taking novels, serial story structure, and putting it on television. That was never done before. It's basically what you're seeing. The reason you're seeing this greatness in television is it's Charles Dickens on television.
1: It's just,
0: (laughs) it's just amazing. Amazing. What they're doing. Um, comedy again, to use a television example, I talk a lot about Seinfeld because this thing was Mm -hmm. maybe the greatest TV show ever written. Uh, certainly comedy, it's battling neck and neck with the greatest drama, which I think is Mad Men, which is one of the examples I use a lot in the gangster story. Um, but Little Miss Sunshine, Groundhog Day; these are all excellent comedies to learn from. Um, western, which is one of my favorite forms, even though it is really a form that isn't around much anymore, except in space. It's gone. It's basically gone to outer space. Um, and I always talk about it when it when it comes to if you want to write a western. Put it in space and basically you're going to do Moses in space. Uh, it'll be incredibly popular, <laughs> trust me. Um, but you know, Westerns, you're looking at uh, Shane, but then I talk about the anti-Westerns where the Western became an art form. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, The Wild Bunch, McCabe and Mrs. Miller and so on. Um, Gangster, which is a direct outgrowth of the Western, Another one of my favorite chapters, because with the Western and gangster, you have basically the rise and fall of the American dream. And it is mind blowing to me how the kind of power that you get, as I mentioned, Western is America's creation myth, but the gangster shows the negative side of it. And the gangster story and transcendent gangster stories are the closest thing that we have in genre to the great American novel. Um, and so in there, besides examples like The Godfather and Goodfellas, I talk a lot about The Great Gatsby and Mad Men.
1: Mm.
0: Um, and Mad Men is basically the Great Gatsby for the present day. Um, fantasy, obviously you gotta talk about the Harry Potter stories, the the creativity that went, the brilliance that went into those is just overwhelming. Um, but you're looking at things like big, to me, perfect script. The big was the perfect, perfect script, script, the perfect movie. Uh, it doesn't get better than that. And you don't get a better expression of the deeper values of uh, the fantasy than that, which again, combined with love story, <laughs> you're always <laughs> going back to those combination story forms that that really fly, that really work with the audience. Um, Pleasantville, Mary Poppins, it's a wonderful life. And I talk about Alice in Wonderland, one of the greatest books ever written. Um, and in my opinion, the greatest fantasy ever written, um, detective and thriller, it, you know, it's just, it's just, you go through these, these story examples. And it just, the, the brilliance of the writing just overwhelms me. Um, at what these writers have been able to do for detective, you're looking at LA confidential of course, Sherlock Holmes, Um, interesting thing I talk about in detective, um, Edgar Allan Poe, unbelievably important writer. He essentially created modern horror and he created the modern detective story. And these are in many ways, two opposite forms. This is the guy that did it. (laughs) So that's the kind of, that's the kind of brilliance that he had. Um, and it, it, even though they are on opposite ends of the genre spectrum, in many ways, they have a very close connection because horror is about the irrational mind. Detective is about the rational mind.
3: I was just going to ask you
0: is a question. question. Yeah, go ahead.
3: No, I was just going to say uh, what distinguishes horror from mystery, and you just answered it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Horror is the mind at its worst, and detective is the mind at its best. Um, I and it, and it detective in its deepest form shows us how to think successfully. And the way it does, this, does it is by comparing stories. And you're essentially comparing the story that the killer wants to everyone to believe versus the story the detective wants everybody to believe and which one is really the truth. It's not always clear. Um, but of course, you, you, to me, you're looking at things like murder on the Orient Express. I still consider that in certain ways the greatest or certainly the most creative use of the detective form. Agatha Christie, you know, just a giant in detective writing, but there with with going from the single killer to the multiple killers who all form the jury i mean that's just that's just it gets to this concept that i talk about a lot in both the crime and the detective chapter which is the concept of poetic justice poetic justice the highest justice you can get and only the writer can can give you that um and she was brilliant at that that was essential to a lot of her stories um for thrillers you look at silence of lambs michael clayton the conversation and then love story a lot of a lot of possibilities for a love story to talk about. Um, I, you know, I, I talk a lot about Philadelphia story, which to me is still I love that, that movie brilliantly, brilliantly crafted movie. Um, and and I also talk in the love story chapter about how the entire romantic comedy form owes almost everything to Jane Austen. Almost every technique that the romantic comedy form uses, she invented and did it, you know, brilliantly, of course. Um, But, but Philadelphia story is a perfect example of that with where you have the hero with the three suitors, three different men who represent three different versions of what marriage for her would be, Um, you know, and again, it's just, that's, that's a writer understanding the craft of love story in a way that produces these effects that you just look at it and you go wow I, I just feel so great at the end of that story it's also by the way philadelphia story is an example of transcendent love story a form of that which is the known as the comedy of remarriage <laughs> um, it's probably the best example of the comedy of remarriage that we have but then you also you know this is now thirty years old, but you 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 have to talk about when Harry met Sally.
3: You
1: have uh, to. Uh,
0: right. Just it's, really, I, absolutely if brilliant. If had, on,
3: it, I would
1: have. Right. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> on every level of story, uh, it is absolutely brilliant. Um, Things like Silver Linings Playbook, Sideways, Five Hundred Days of Summer. These are all romantic comedies, fairly recent that with a level of craft. And why do I say that? Primarily because the love story, you know, romance is the most popular of all novel forms. And, you know, to those who like to make fun of it, I say, really, Uh, you're talking about the highest genre there is, because Mm -hmm. love story gives us the recipe for day-to-day happiness. No other genre can do that. No other genre shows what it means to live a great life and you do it by learning how to love. As I say in the book, it's learning the moral act of love. And that is a very tough lesson for people to learn and many people never learn it. Um, But love story romance expresses that. And anybody who writes romance has my highest respect Uh, because you're giving a great gift to your readers.
1: Wow. Oh, John. Wow. I feel like we attended a master class and yet I know that I could sit in on these teachings for days. Um, So first I want to thank you so much for spending your time with us, for reading our work, for analyzing our work and I want you to tell everyone how to find your book. I know you have classes, you have podcasts, you have so many ways for people to take this as readers and as writers to the next level.
0: Well, thank you, Patty. It's been a joy to talk with you all Um, the if you'd like to get the book. It is now out. It's now available. Uh, and you can go, you can get it at any store, but you can go, you can see all of the stores in one place. If you go to anatomyofgenres.com, it's, it's the title of the book, all one word, anatomyofgenres.com. And if you're interested in any of the story classes or story software, just go to my website, which is truby.com, T-R-U-B-Y. It's all there. (laughs) And. And by the way, for anybody who uh, purchased the purchases the book, if you send me your receipt, you will get a bonus, uh, which is you get to choose between taking my Avatar class or my Westworld class. Each is an example of a masterpiece in their own genre, in their own medium. Um, And what I do is I break down each of those stories in terms of the beats of the genres that they're using, and then talk about how they transcend their genre to do something that's really special that we get nowhere else. So just save your receipt, send it in, and you'll get that as well.
1: I have a receipt. I'm sending it in. I have been obsessed with Westworld. I haven't watched the newest um, season.
2: Yeah. It got a little
1: cuckoo bird, but those first seasons were, were genius. Yeah. They were, they were, were yeah. genius. Yes. Yeah,
0: absolutely agree. Totally agree with you. I, 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 they weren't able to maintain it, but no. that first season especially is one of the greatest seasons oh, of television yes. I've ever seen.
1: It, I, I still think about it and it's been what, five yeah. years since I watched it. And yeah. I still think about how they took what we expected out of a Western yeah. and Flipped it, twisted it, took yep. it. It it was. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna sign up for that. So, yep,
0: John,
2: good. thank you good, so
1: good. much. Good,
0: I think you'll like it.
2: Good. Well, John, it's been a true honor to have you with us today. So many of our listeners are both published and aspiring writers, and I actually know several people who have copies of The Anatomy of Story that they have torn apart with highlighters, <laughs> they have to buy new copies all the time. So, I'm sure they'll do that with a new book. So thank you so much for sharing your talent and gifts with so many. And thank you listeners for joining us on our journey to talk about storytelling and the art of writing. We're so grateful to you. Please be sure to join us next week for more and be sure to invite a friend to tag along. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform tune in every Friday for another episode.
1: And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube where our live Friends and Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here.
0: Produced by Audovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.